can sing it if you want. Well, we're going to read the text from Isaiah 52. Just a short passage. Isaiah 52, 7 says this. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Friends, this is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As you're being seated, let me pray over this word today. Lord, we are glad to be in your presence. We're glad to be surrounded by voices of every generation singing the good news of Jesus Christ coming as a Savior and Lord. God, may it fill our hearts today that we would with great courage and confidence, share and go tell it on the mountain ourselves that Jesus Christ is indeed born. Pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, I want to start this morning with a bit of a confession. Uh, we're, we're still in our Advent series, um, and we, we, last year we looked at, uh, at the great hymns of the faith as it relates to the season of Advent, so we're, we're continuing that series, and so Go Tell It on the Mountain is our, is our hymn this morning. If you didn't catch on already, catch you up to speed. Um, but I do need to confess something before we get going. There's something that has is, is really become uh, deeply you know, frustrating to my heart. And it's one of these things that happens all around us, but no one really ever calls it out. And I'm just, I think we need to stop it, you know, right where it is. But it's when people uh, unsolicited, you know, that you don't even ask them for it, but they just show you a picture of their kid. You know? <laughs> Oh, um, yeah, I'm that guy, uh, 100%. I, I love to share pictures of this little guy. This is my son, Jack. He's eight months old now. It's my beautiful wife, Ashley. Uh, they've been around this morning. We were dancing around nap time. I kind of was hoping he'd be here now, but I'm looking up there, do not see him. So he's probably home sleeping. Um, why do we do that? Why, why do I do that? Why do we do that? Um, I think about it kind of like a glass of water. Like the more you fill it up, when you get around people and just bump into them, it's going to spill out. And so whatever the cup's full of, that's what's going to spill out. And you know what my cup's full of? (laughs) This little guy. (laughs) So grateful for him and his life. So grateful for those of you that prayed uh, to... As a, as a part of that journey of him being here. But we, we like to talk about the things that we delight in, whether it's a child, a grandchild. I think the only person worse than a parent is a grandparent. Am I right? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm pretty bad. I don't know. Anyways, um, we love to talk about the things that we delight in. And so today, when we, we're talking about this hymn, Go Tell It on the Mountain, um, it's a hymn about evangelism. It's a hymn about the story of Jesus come to bear on people like you and me. And so we're going to talk about what it's like to go and tell it. Um, but I think a part of going and telling it is that it's got to be the thing that fills our cup. The gospel's got to be the thing that fills our cup. Because whatever fills our cup, that's what's going to spill out. And so if, if the gospel's not filling your cup, then maybe it's the movie you just watched, or maybe it's the restaurant you just enjoyed a steak at. We're, we do it all the time. We blab about the things we behold, right? We, we declare the things we delight in. That's just true of human nature. So a, 
I think what we need to do is figure out what it looks like for the gospel to fill our cup. And I think this hymn's gonna help us do that this morning as we walk through it, but also the words from from Isaiah chapter 52, uh, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring tidings, who uh, good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. So we're just gonna walk through the hymn pretty simply with the verses, And then we're going to walk it through backwards. And you're like, that sounds complicated. I hope to make it simple for you. But I think it's going to really be helpful to us because this is such an easy way to see how the gospel comes to us as individuals. How does this hymn start? Well, the first three verses are all about the story. You might hear these playing in your brain from Luke chapter 2, the story of Jesus being born, the story of Advent, the story of Christmas. While shepherds kept their watching or silent flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens there shone a holy light, a story out there that doesn't really impact you just yet, but something's happening. Pay attention. Verse two, the shepherds feared and trembled when low above the earth rang out the angel's chorus that hailed our Savior's birth. Our Savior? Who is? It's a baby a long time ago. How does that have any relevance to what's going on? It's okay. We're going to get there, right? But they're just telling you a story and inviting you in to this narrative. Verse three, down in a lowly manger, our humble Christ was born and brought us all salvation that blessed Christmas morn. There's something about this baby. He's not just any old baby. He's not just any old person. In fact, he's God in the flesh. He's God incarnate. He's come to us to be like us, that he might bear the very sin that rests on our shoulders, that he might take it to the cross and die on our behalf. This sweet baby, this humble child is going to live a life of humility, offering himself for the sake of the world. It's a good story. It's a really good story. But, but wait, how does, it, how does it come to me? Oh, verse four, when I was a seeker, I sought both night and day. I sought the Lord to help me and he showed me the way. It's beginning to get personal. Not only is God a transcendent God who can deal with the big issues of life, he's a personal God that walks us by the hand and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, what a gift, this transcendent yet eminent God that draws near to his people. And what does it result in? Verse five, he made me a watchman upon the city wall. And if I am a Christian, I am the least of all. That's easier to sing than to live, isn't it? To believe that what the gospel does to us is that it humbles us deeply, that there's, there's a dependency when we trust Christ that says you are not only savior because I needed saving, but you are Lord and I'll bow to you. I'll follow your way. I'll follow in your footsteps, Lord Jesus. Isn't it, isn't it a beautiful and simple hymn that we sing that reminds us of our journey? I bet you all have a journey kind of like that, where the story was out there, and then the story came in here, and then it messed everything up. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're a different person because Christ has rubbed off on you in a way that is beautiful and wonderful and so very different than the world. Now, we could stop there, and I've got 18 and a half minutes left, and we just send you to brunch, right? That was, that was easy, the good news. But we forgot the chorus. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. 
There's a sending quality to this hymn. There's a sending quality to our God and to the scriptures. Why? Because this is such good news for you. And I pray that it is. If it has not been good news to you, I invite you today to pay attention to this sweet baby that we celebrate in the season of Advent because he becomes a man and he deals with the brokenness of the world on his own shoulders. He's made a way of reconciliation to the Father. He's made a way for your sins to be atoned for. He's made a way for you to spend eternity with him and the light of his goodness and grace. That's all true. Friends, I hope that that message would fill our hearts today so that when we bump into people, that's what would spill out. Who's good at evangelism? I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hands, right? That's a terrifying question. How many of you have taken spiritual gifts inventories? Yes. How many of you have gotten evangelism as your top one? I don't meet many people, genuinely. They're just like, listen, it's not my gift. Don't know. No one's it's like, well, okay. Um, is it a gift of the Spirit? Or does Jesus just say, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. Surely I'll be with you when you do it to the very end of the age. Is it a command or is it a gift? Can I do it? Do I have to do it? How does that work? Well, I think this hymn's gonna help us, right? We're gonna start at the end with humility. We're gonna talk about individual stories and then we're gonna talk about the big story that invites everybody in because Isaiah says this, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Friends, as Christians, we all ought to be people with beautiful feet. And you're like, listen, my feet are gross. Yes, I get it. It's a metaphor, friends. It's a metaphor. <laughs> what it means is the goodness of the messenger who without fear carries the gospel to people. The gospel that reveals to them good news, peace, good tidings, and salvation that proclaims so boldly, your God reigns. Friends, we ought to be those kind of people, and I get that it's scary, okay? So we're gonna, we're gonna take it slow, but we're gonna start with this idea of humility that, that ends this song. He made me a watchman upon the city wall, and if I am a Christian, I am the least of all. You might say, what, what, do, what do people need to be a good evangelist, right? If I ask you that question, what would you say? Well, you need to be smart. Gotta have all the answers, right? Because if they ask questions, you gotta be ready. You don't want to look like a fool, yeah? You got to have a lot of courage because it's terrifying, right? You have to have a lot of different things. What if I told you this? If you have humility, the other things will fall into place. What if I told you this? If you submitted yourself to Christ and saying, Lord, whatever you have me do, I will do, and I trust that you will be with me to the very end of the age. What if all of it fell into place? Let's deal with the first piece, right? A fear of rejection. Who feels that way sometimes? right? I, if, if you don't really know, if you're dealing with a fear of rejection, think about this. How much do you think about being accepted? How often do you spend mind energy, heart energy on how did that conversation go? Do those people like me very much? Does that happen to y'all? You leave a two-second conversation and you're thinking about it for four hours? Like, well, I... I make dad jokes now, like bad dad jokes now. And so that's on my mind a lot. I'm like, man, that was a terrible joke. I don't know if people like me anymore, right? Acceptance is on our mind and heart pretty often because we're constantly measuring ourselves in these spaces. Do I fit in? Can I belong? Will they love me? Will they like me? 
So if we're dealing with acceptance a lot, then we're probably dealing with a fear of rejection as well. But imagine this, that humility meets you in that space. That Jesus draws near around your fear, around your insecurity. And he says this, I love you. I don't even just love you. I like you. And that's different. Those of you that have been married, you know that's different, right? I don't just love you. I like you. I'm around you. I'm for you. You don't have to do another thing and it doesn't matter all the wrong things that you might have done or might do. I accept and affirm and love you. My approval of you. Let that quiet all the voices and insecurities where you're trying to build an identity on acceptance in other ways. Instead, just trust that you are my child and I love you. Humility at the feet of Jesus as his grace washes over us, it quiets the voice of rejection. Sounds like a party out there. (laughs) They're going and telling something. (laughs) Humility offers us the space to not fear rejection anymore. Humility offers us the space to walk boldly to someone and not belligerently, but winsomely share the good news of truth that is the gospel of grace. Only humility does that. Only humility does this. Only humility allows us to come to people who are really broken and really messed up and see them with love and not judgment. You know what's frustrating? When Christians get mad at non-Christians for acting like non-Christians. What'd you think they were gonna do? Don't get so mad at them. They're filling their life with stuff to try to be okay. And you were that way too. But praise God, he revealed himself to you. So carry that message with humility, not with a, with a, a rod or trying to beat people over the head with the truth of the gospel. Come to them and woo them. The kindness of the Lord leads to repentance. The kindness If you come to people in judgment, of course they're not going to listen to you. But if you come in humility, With the love of Jesus, there is an audience there because people want to be seen. People want to be known. It's better probably to listen than to talk for the first bit. If you're trying to get real practical, it's probably really good to draw near to their lives and say, what is it that's going on? How can I just hear from you? How can I I draw near and try to love you just right now? Finally, humility does this. It reveals our ongoing dependency on Jesus. The the call of the Christian is not to to get a whole lot better on your own, but to admit that you don't have it together at all. So when we draw near to others in humility, it means that we've drawn near to Christ and he's offered us himself. We come on our hands and knees saying, I have nothing left. And therefore my life can be a beautiful reflection of my dependency on Jesus every single step of the way. Humility does that. And that way, when you're in the conversation and you don't know the answer, guess what happens? It's okay. Let me think about that. I'll get back to you. The fear of rejection's gone. Why? I don't have to have it all together. I'm just proclaiming the good news of Jesus as I know it. I was at a student ministry camp where our, our old high school minister, Hayes Thielman, was teaching to our students at Eagle Rock. And he said this. He said, bring as much of you know of yourself to as much as you know of Jesus. Imagine if we saw evangelism as that way. Bring as much of you know as Jesus to as much as you know of this person and just offer him freely because Christ is a good, good gift. 
First, we need humility, but we keep working through this wonderful song. And it tells us that a part of it is going to be individual stories. When I was a seeker, I sought both day and night. I sought the Lord to help me. I always flip that. I'm sorry. It's night and day because that makes it rhyme. Do you see how that works? Songs rhyme. That's how they're supposed to work. When I was a seeker, I sought both night and day. I sought the Lord to help me and he showed me the way. See, way rhymes with day. That's how it works. Okay. It's a story of the gospel coming alive to someone individually. As you go and tell it, recognize that you are going and telling individuals with real stories of real seeking. People are seeking. People are looking around saying, what is it that I need to fill the void in my life? Any of you grow up with the, uh, the donut man? He's, he's the guy who's, who told us that we've all got a donut in our heart and the missing piece is a middle donut. It's Jesus. Never seen this? Oh, bunch of Presbyterians. I grew up Baptist. <laughs> they let us eat donuts and talk about donuts. We read our Bible a lot. There's a missing piece. I know that sounds silly. I do. I know it sounds a little bit ridiculous, but tell me this. Do you meet people that don't have a missing piece? Do you meet people that are totally content in their identity? They're as peaceful as they come. They're not rushing. They're not hurried. They're not anxious. They're not any of those things. Do you meet those people? I do sometimes. You know what? You know where I find them? Close to Jesus. Because he says he's the way, the truth, and the life. There's no one, there's no way to the Father except through him. So we just know for a fact as Christians, we get this little tidbit of knowledge. Anyone you meet in the world apart from Christ is seeking. Now, they're all seeking in probably pretty unique ways as it relates to their brokenness, as it relates to past wounds, as it relates to the things that they're really good at and they can put their identity in. There's all these ways to seek, but we come to individuals and remember humility is the posture of listening so we know their stories. We draw near and we say, tell me your story, what's going on? And then here's what we do. We take the good news of the gospel and we apply it so far as the curse is found. We sing that song all the time, right? Joy to the world. We say that Jesus came to save so far as the curse is found. What does that mean? That means that the good news of the gospel relates to all areas of life, not just eternal life, not just when when we're dead and gone and we go spend eternity with Jesus, but right now he says that I offer you life and life abundant, right now. So tell me this, are we any good at that? Are we any good at applying the good news of the gospel to every facet of life and helping people see that Christ cares deeply about the things that they're engaging with and going through right now. To the person who seeks success above everything, if you're out there, you know that success is delightful for a time and then it pretty quickly turns over into needing more success. Does it? It does. A friend of mine closed the biggest deal that he had ever closed at his company. You know how long it took him to look for the next deal? 30 minutes. His boss even came up to him and was like, what is the, what's wrong with you? We just closed a huge deal. This is amazing. He's like, I can't stop thinking about the next thing. I can't stop thinking about my security in the next thing. Why? Because often when people chase success so hard, it actually reveals a great insecurity in the background. Like I'm never gonna have enough, so I've got to crush it every single day to keep up. How is the good news of the gospel good news to those people? This is how Jesus loves you and accepts you apart from any of the good work you've ever done. 
Jesus loves and accepts you in spite of all the brokenness in your life and all the bad things that you've done. Your identity is not in your work. It's not in your next deal and it's not in your success. It's in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You can rest completely in the fact that he loves you, that he died for you, that he is, in his own words, enough. Now, does that mean that you don't have to get up and go to work tomorrow? No, you probably do. Does that mean that you don't have to close deals anymore? No, you probably do. But you know what the gift of the gospel does? It doesn't allow the highs to get too high as it relates to your identity, and it doesn't allow the lows to get too low as it relates to your identity. Success will not build you up or puff you up too much, and failure will not tear you down so much. Why is that a gift? Because the hope of Christ transcends our experience here and now and offers us a tether to something so much better, a lightness to life that says, I can live and move and have my being without the burden of having to prove myself over and over and over again. What about those of you that love their beauty? Maybe the identity is wrapped up in your beauty. Why have... Uh, good news and bad news. What you see in the mirror every day is true. You are both beautiful and aging. (laughs) I told the first crowd this. I wrote that as something sentimental and everyone laughed both times. (laughs) It's true though. There is something beautiful in each of you. I guarantee it. Those of you that find your identity in it and even those of you that feel like you could never find your identity because you actually feel ugly. There's beauty in you and also age is stealing that day by day. And the more you put your identity in that thing, the more the death is going to feel like it's coming every single day because you're only getting older. You're only losing what you thought was so wonderful at the start. How is the gospel good news for you? You may think that the only thing lovable about you is your appearance. You may think it's about your image or your shape or your complexion or the symmetry of your face. But Jesus draws near and says, I love you because you're my beloved child. I see past all of that. I see the whole of you, not just how I've made you and that the image of God is stamped on you, but I see so much more. I see a child who needs to be nurtured and cared for. I see a child who needs rest, I see a child who needs the delight of a mother and a father to wrap them up in their arms. Do you think I'm going to love Jack any less, depending on how he turns out? If he gets any more beautiful, if his cheeks get any more full, right? (laughs) He's my child. Delight in him. Holy. Full stop. The gospel transforms this stuff for us, folks, because our identity doesn't have to rest in these things that the world tells us are the most important. Instead, Jesus draws near and says, let me offer you an identity. My righteousness, now yours. My sonship, now yours. My inheritance, now yours. My presence, now yours. Come and dwell with me, all you who are weary and burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and here you will find rest for your souls. Man, I want that. But not just me. I know people want that. Has this not felt like a restless season? I'm not talking about Advent. I'm talking like the last two years. It's been hard. 
How good is it that we have a Savior that says, draw near and I can offer you rest? So we come in humility and we come to individuals with real stories that we need to really pay attention to. And then we come with the greatest story ever told. Did you know the scriptures is one big story from beginning to end? Genesis to Revelation, we say this at nauseum. And you know why? Because we think you need to know it. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. It's a simple flow that begins in Genesis, ends in Revelation. And guess what? There's only one hero. It's Jesus himself. We celebrate this Advent season because the, the hinge point of all of human history rests in this one person, God transcendent incarnate in Christ for us that changes everything. Friends, the Christian story is the best story on the market. It answers all the big questions. Where did we come from? Where did we come from? Well, one of the answers in culture is this. It's a mystery, nowhere, accident. Well, if, if the past and the answer to that question is meaningless, then does that mean that my life is meaningless too? That's not a great start. It's not a great story. Do people live that way? No, they don't live as if life is meaningless. They attach themselves to little meanings, but we as Christian, Christians can say this. Do you know where we came from? A loving God who out of the overflow of his love in relationship with himself created all things that they might work together, coalescing in the beauty and the wonder of life, teeming, dynamically teeming with goodness that people would elevate each other, love and care for each other, that we would experience community and wonder and goodness. That's what we were made for. But oh, is it like that right now? Not always. What happened? What's wrong with the world? People answer that question in so many ways. It's that political party. It's this political party. It's this sickness. It's this thing. It's this thing. It's this thing. They give all these answers. Christians have a better answer. You know what our answer is? Sin broke stuff. The curse is pervasive in every way, not just our relationship to the Father, but our relationship with everything, ourselves, other people, the creation, all of it was marred in sin. Oh man, when I see the reality of the problem, it's so much bigger than I thought and it's actually quite terrifying. Why? Because if the problem was really just a political party, we could probably get a new one and that would fix it. But guess what? It's not fixing it. Even as we come up with the various ways to overcome sickness, what's happening? The problem remains. And so Christians have a better answer. What is the answer to this great problem of sin? Redemption in a man, Jesus Christ, who has come to heal things so far as the curse is found. We have a good answer. We have a baby born to us in a manger with the might and the right to transform everything. And we see it all throughout his ministry that he's healing the blind, healing the lame, raising people to walk in newness of life from death, friends, from death. He's revealing his kingdom. And he says, this is the first fruits of the kingdom to come. And his life, dead on the cross, alive on the third day, is the first fruits of those who will be reborn and alivened by the Spirit. We have a great answer. And we even know this, where are we headed? The Christian story says this, that Christ will come again. His second advent is on the doorstep. And what he brings is a kingdom in which tears are wiped away. Pain and sadness is a thing of the past. And he's making all things new.